Hi, this is James with Just Ape, a community about getting back to the basics of bridging Web 2 to Web 3. I'm on the edge of NFT, getting back to the basics of why Web 3 matters. Enjoy. Hey, NFT Curious listeners, stay tuned for today's episode to learn how apes across worlds are building bridges to true open source community governance for an exciting new L1. And how a total stranger turned into a total lifesaver for one of our guests. And finally, how one of the most active communities in the metaverse has broken new ground once again in the realm of digital books. And yes, it's official. You can dive into the captivating world of artificial intelligence with the Edge of AI podcast, our newest addition to the family. Join us as we explore the frontiers of AI and its impact on our lives. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on Twitter at Edge of underscore AI and LinkedIn for exciting updates and insights. You can also visit our new website at edgeofai.xyz. Welcome to the Edge of NFT, the podcast created by Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of Web3 today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts of the business side and also the human element of how Web3 is changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features James, aka Groovy, the visionary founder of Just Ape Studios, Just Ape and Apes Across Worlds. An ardent believer in transformative power blockchain and decentralized technologies, James' journey in Web3 space is a testament to his commitment to driving innovation. Leading the charge at Just Ape Studios, they crafted a unique space for digital art and fashion enthusiasts connecting creators and concierge in an unprecedented manner. With Just Ape Studios, James steered the integration of cutting-edge blockchain solutions into multimedia and fashion, solidifying their position as a pioneer in the field. With a technical background deeply rooted in software engineering, James couples their extensive knowledge with an intuitive understanding of market trends, setting new standards for blockchain-based projects. James, how are you doing today? Doing amazing. How about yourself? Doing incredible. Glad to have you here. Good to connect and keep talking about all the amazing things you're doing. It's rare that you get to meet people in person in your hometown. And so we got to meet over some coffee at Radio City and had a really awesome conversation. I was like, man, we got to find a way to get you on the show. Today is that day. So it's awesome, man. It's been a long time coming. So definitely excited to you know, get things rolling. You have questions about blockchain? Like how big of a block can you chain without throwing out your back? Or if you received that chain letter, how did you block it? And does blockchain taste better, barbecued, or deep fried? <laughs> Luckily, you don't have to ponder these quandaries alone anymore, because Blockchain Training Alliance is here to answer them, and also train you in real-world blockchain issues that will impact your business's bottom line and oriented future forward along the ley lines of the most important tech humanity has perfected since harnessing atomic energy. If you're into those sorts of things, Blockchain Training Alliance is a top leader in the field, counting among its clients IBM, Microsoft, Disney, Morgan Stanley, and many more, and offering a wide array of technical and non-technical courses. Whether you're a computer neophyte training for an incredible career in this new space, or a coding expert honing your skills, Blockchain Training Alliance will help you steer your ship home safely, filled with treasure. <laughs> Arg. So hurry and sign up for the Blockchain Training Alliance course that best fits your needs at blockchaintrainingalliance.com. Use discount code EDGEOF for 50% off and start your next block today. Yeah, man, it's the time to build. I'm here in Dubai and they're also excited about building. A lot of folks have moved their companies here to do a lot of building and 
I love that sort of you come from that builder background and mentality and there's a lot more infrastructure here that the industry needs. So I appreciate all that. And I think it's fascinating how Just Ape is really a movement about getting back to the basics. And I'm curious, what made you choose that type of messaging and how did the community respond? Yeah, absolutely. So we launched on Solana about a year ago, following the whole hype era of OK Bears. And during that time, we saw a lot of holes within the communities that we wanted to kind of fill. And that's really what we prioritized with Just Ape when we launched. And we wanted to give back. We wanted to kind of approach it from this no-nonsense kind of perspective. And when it came to NFTs, there's always this bias against NFTs, how they were a scam. So we really want to kind of put utility and kind of substance behind that. So when we launched, we essentially, we knew we wanted to give back. We knew we wanted to create these tangible goods that represented the brand, that represented the company, that would allow our holders to actually receive something tangible from, you know, participating within our community. So with that being said, we launched our rewards program that was very similar to like a Web2 loyalty program, something like Airline Miles. Um, that was kind of the first big product that we undertook when we launched. And that receptiveness within the community was something that was very, very well received. Everyone was very happy with their NFT assets that represented their their part, their stake in this loyalty program. So I think when we launched it, it was very, very um, well received. Um, after our first season, we had a lot of community members who were very happy with how things played out, just being able to kind of stake their assets. They didn't have to worry about any kind of excess tokens, any kind of issues with the regulatory uncertainty. So I'd say, yeah, it did really well when it launched. Through our season one, we were able to showcase a lot of the the tangible products that we were creating in uh, brick and mortar stores in both New York City as well as in Miami. So yeah, I think overall, it was a good onboarding mechanism, not only for people that were already in, in Web3, but People that are going into these stores, Web2 side of things, were able to see these tangible products that kind of stood behind the NFTs and understood you know, what the actual mechanism of our project was. I think it did really well. Yeah, it's really awesome that like I remember when Solana was coming out with their brick and mortar stores and I was like, oh, I wonder what kind of stuff they're going to put in there. And like you're telling me, oh, yeah, our product was there. Like that is awesome. Like truly use case, trying to see utility. Then you even talking about the rewards program and how loyal your community is at Ape. It's really like awesome even to see the activity that's still happening over on Twitter and other places. But you continue to push the envelope. You're continuing to do really cool things. And the latest happens to be Apes Across Worlds, which exemplifies your vision for a decentralized, interconnected universe where community engagement and digital ownership are paramount. So can you kind of tell us a little bit more about like how this project came into being and what was the journey to get there? You brought up some good points with like with the whole physical brick and mortar stores. Like they were great while they were around, right? For these onboard mechanisms to bring more people into the community. One of the big things that we focus on ever since we launched is is how can we grow? How can we scale? And that thesis for us was, you know, we're always going to have to kind of look outside of the ecosystem to onboard more people to the space. That was kind of my own thesis on how we'd continue to grow. If we were always aiming for kind of this recycled liquidity, it would never really work out. And it was great while Solana Spaces was around. We were able to kind of, again, onboard a lot of new people to the project, to the community, and introduce a lot of people to what we were working on. Unfortunately, Solana Spaces shut down about five, six months ago. And we were kind of aware that it was going in that direction. They weren't really getting funding from too many participants, other projects, businesses within the ecosystem. So once that happened for us, that kind of killed off that vertical for us, at least in terms of fashion. So we had to kind of go back to the drawing board and pivot in terms of, okay, how can we focus on more contributions? They're going to help Web3 as a whole. And for us, what that meant was focusing more on Web3 infrastructure, focusing more on building out products that are going to help us grow within Web3 as opposed to, again, just mostly focusing on onboarding. So with that in mind, we started looking at a lot of other ecosystems, places that we could, again, continue to grow and scale out. 
places we could actually build infrastructure that was going to help the ecosystem grow. And for us, that meant looking at open source contributions. And with that being said, we ultimately landed on Alice Zero. We spoke to a lot of other networks at the time. We spoke to Polygon. We spoke to Sui, Aptos, Near, a few other ones as well. And, and ultimately, Alice Zero is kind of where we landed. That being said, we want to take it back to, again, how can we actually help this ecosystem grow and thrive? And for us, that meant, again, focusing on open source contributions with the governance platform we came up or idealized. And that was more or less meant to be that standard for NFT ecosystems or the NFT ecosystem itself. How can we create a platform that's going to allow projects to keep their community in line with what they're working on? foster transparency of what they're working on, as well as allow their community to have that input to say, this is what I think you should build. So for us, Apes Across Worlds, which is, again, the product that's on top of the governance platform that we're building, so that'll only be around 220 assets. But the idea is to bring a bunch of builders, visionaries, contributors from all across Web3 to this ecosystem where they can actively contribute to helping expand that ecosystem. So with the governance platform itself, that's, again, our first deliverable. We're also implementing the NFT standard on Alice Zero which again will be open source as a means to allow the ecosystem to use it as well. Second thing we want to build is an NFT lending protocol. And that's really what we're focusing on are the next chunk of work that we want to move on after we finish the governance platform. Very cool, man. You just covered a lot. So let's break it down a little bit. So first, for those that don't know what Alpha Zero is all about, maybe you can kind of explain that to our listeners to start. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. So Alpha Zero is just another L1 chain. It has high throughput. It's very scalable. It has a privacy layer to allow transactions to be privately made as well. At its core, again, it's highly scalable. It's essentially um, privacy compliant as well. It was found by a great team out in Poland. So yeah, that's kind of the basis of what it is. Just again, highly scalable, fast, very, very fast. To my knowledge, one of the fastest blockchains that has pretty much near instant finality, which means transactions are pretty much near instant finalized. Yeah, that's kind of the basis of what Alice Zero is. Yeah, so that makes sense. So I guess those are some cool tools that you're building. How is those tools going to catalyze growth and innovation for that L1? Like break it down a little bit more in layman terms, in terms of how these projects all tie together. Absolutely. Yeah. So the whole core thesis of expanding, you know, Web3, at least when it comes to NFT ecosystems, we really went when we were at the drawing board, we're essentially looking at a lot of big ecosystems now, ecosystems like Ethereum, ecosystems like Solana and looking at which products really kind of catalyze their NFT ecosystems and which projects really help those grow. So on Ethereum, one of the big projects that we saw that was a smaller concentrated community was NounsDAO. And NounsDAO, what they've achieved in such a short time is they've essentially proliferated NounsDAO across all of Web3. They were essentially a project that really helped the ecosystem grow. And so we took a lot of lessons from that. We looked at other small communities like Proof Collective, which were also instrumental in getting that NFT ecosystem expanding and grow as well. Modeled a lot of, again, the governance platform after what we could do in terms of creating tools that were going to help communities contribute. That's essentially what we saw like in terms of friction when it came to these smaller concentrated communities that wanted to grow and expand is a lot of the communities wanted to contribute, but they just didn't have the tooling to do so. And that's really that first problem that we aim to solve. We wanted to create something that was very frictionless, something that incentivized community contribution and something that allowed the community to actively see what the project was kind of going towards, what vision they're building towards. So again, we also looked at Solana, looked at some of the smaller communities on Solana, things that were very prevalent in the early days prior to Solana experiencing its explosive growth. 
And that was also a big tool set that we saw missing from these smaller communities was the tooling that would allow the community to actually say, this is what I think y'all should do. This is why I think y'all should do it. And this is essentially everyone else, you know, kind of backs this idea. That was essentially our thesis for the catalyst is create tooling that will allow to actively contribute they on like a very frictionless, frictionless kind of approach. They just want to check in every day, say, hey, this is what I think y'all should build or go vote on a proposal that they think is going to actually bring value to the wider ecosystem or even Apes Across Worlds itself. That was our thesis for how it'll actually contribute to that scaling factor. That's cool. And that's an L1 I wasn't familiar with, and I'm sure other folks weren't as well. So I think part of the reason these L1s do grants is to bring the right sort of advocates and sort of communities into their broader ecosystem. Now I'm gonna go check them out and see what they're all about. And definitely just wanted to say congrats on the EFP grant. Getting those are always their own sets of challenges, but you're using that to go and create a lot of really cool things, like you said, from the tooling and also just looking at how do you really build in those communities. And having gone through what you did with just Ape, you know how to talk to different communities, collectors, artists, newcomers, and you're trying to wrap that into why they would now want to be a part of AAW. So can you kind of describe how you're leveraging digital collectible ownership, community governments, the other ways within you're using like blockchain infrastructure? And I know you kind of talked on like a couple of those different points. and also know that you probably have some things in that roadmap that people can be really excited about. Taking it back to season one for Just Ape on Solana, we created this whole loyalty program, as I mentioned earlier, which essentially all holders had to do was they go stake their assets, they get distributions of tokens over the sense of the whole season, which essentially allowed them to burn these tokens for tangible items. There was other things that were like raffles we gave away, like a $10,000 Triumph bike, which is pretty awesome. So anyways, we had this amazing season one. And one of the biggest lessons we learned after season one was, sure, like everyone likes all this free stuff from this rewards program. It's great. But they want something a little bit more. They want to be engaged. And as you mentioned, they want that sense of ownership. And moving forward, that was also tied into this next platform that we're building is how can we keep people engaged on a daily basis? How can we keep them coming back? How can we make them feel like their voice actually matters? And that really came into full circle with the platform is with the governance platform. Obviously, every holder of every single ape has one vote. So the more apes you hold, the more votes you have. That essentially allows you to kind of leverage your voice in a way say, this is what I think we should do. When you're putting proposals forward, you can kind of go ahead and basically our method of actually taking apart these proposals is you need to have everything down from team to finances to everything that's fully fleshed out. Again, taking the nouns model and kind of putting it on overdrive because we also want to tie in a lot of social dynamics. It goes without saying that Web3 also lives on crypto Twitter. And if you don't have that presence, you're not making noise about what you're building, then really no one's going to care. So I ultimately say it kind of came into, again, looking at how can we tie in social dynamics to this? How can we also incentivize these kind of participants uh, to actively contribute? So we also kind of wrapped in an achievement system into our governance platform that allows holders to look at certain metrics of things that they have six kind of metrics that they've hit within the community itself. Things like signing in every day, things like making a certain amount of proposals, making a certain amount of votes. We tied in some of our physical products as well into these achievements as well. With everything that we've created in the Web2 space, all these tangible goods, we didn't want to kind of completely leave that behind. We want to, again, look at how can we incentivize people to actively come contribute every day? And that's, I'd say, again, that sense of ownership, that sense of achievement within the governance platform itself. We really want to wrap everything together. And I think that's something we really nailed with the governance platform. Again, when it comes to ownership, participation, and actively also, again, engaging on Twitter. Very cool. So this is not the first L1 that needed this type of governance structure and reward mechanism. There's other 
systems out there. I'm curious to what extent you are inspired by what others have done relative to sort of starting from a place of curiosity and sort of discovery as a longtime product dev. I'm sure this is like a common sort of tension in that world because there are tracks that have been laid that are not bad. But then if you go down those tracks, are you missing out on something fun that's sort of down a different path? So how do you balance all that? I think you bring on some very good points in terms of tracks that have been laid, right? I mean, the whole idea of Web3 is to iterate, right? Just keep building, keep iterating on the product until you build something better, right? And like you said, you can go down a track for as long as you want, but it isn't until you start veering off that you create something very unique. And I think for us, luckily, like Web3 has been around and obviously it hasn't been around for too long. But on the, on the other side, you know, we've seen so many tracks laid on Ethereum which is obviously one of the biggest NFT ecosystems in the space. And through that, we've been able to see what works and what doesn't. So I think the biggest thing for us was, again, looking at ways to kind of tie incentives into everything that we were doing. It goes to say, especially like within the bear market, that people just need to be incentivized for some greater reason to actively fill that need to actively contribute. So I'd say it's been a balance of, again, taking those tracks that we've seen like bigger projects, like proof, like nouns lay down, And then really looking at things from a top level view and being like, okay, how can we actually improve on this model and make people want to participate in this over the long term? Because one of some of the shortcomings we've seen with other products, with other projects is people just get bored. Like people get bored all the time. They move on to the next thing. They want to be a part of the new hotness. And it's been that fine, delicate balance of like, okay, how can we make it interesting enough where people don't want to move on? They want to stay, they want to contribute, and they feel rewarded and incentivized enough to just keep building with us. I think that's, Luckily with us, we launched just Ape about a year ago. So we've really been able to kind of hone into the diehard community that was with us since the beginning. On that other side, we've looked at other networks, we've talked to other networks, and we've been able to kind of cultivate this community from all ecosystems, whether it be Ethereum, whether it be Polygon. And I think what we're bringing to Alice Zero is a nice mix of everything. So we're really seeing people that ultimately just don't really care about one particular ecosystem. No one's the maxi. I'd say the only maxis that we have are Web3 maxis. And I think that's kind of the important pivotal part for us moving forward is we wanted to bring people together from all ecosystems. And there's really been no better time to do it right now than in the bear, because at this point, you know, everyone that's still around, they care about Web3 as a whole. It's not like they're just a one maxi for one particular ecosystem. They just want to make sure that Web3 works so that all of us don't have to go back to Web2. Heard that. And I think there's more of that message that needs to continue to spread. I think that there's definitely room for a lot of really cool projects that can exist and keep furthering this community. I I think we're still, unfortunately, in a world where a lot of islands are being built, not enough bridges, but it sounds like you're on the side of building these bridges to keep bringing all these amazing communities together. And I think this is a really cool way of going at that. And like you said, you're a year in, you still have some really things coming out with Apes Cross Worlds. And there's probably some things that are coming out either towards the end of this year or coming up early next year that you might be able to tell us about. Can you kind of tease a little bit of that for us? With the governance platform, it was more so like the first deliverable that we wanted to kind of push out on Alice Zero. With the new and young ecosystem, there's just so many different things you can build and so many different contributions that you can put forward. And obviously there's just not enough time, right? So the next big thing that we're focused on, at least for a problem with the newer ecosystem, and taking it back to what Josh mentioned is, There's just so many great lessons in Web3, so many great lessons on particular chains that you can kind of run into and be like, oh, this is great. When you approach a new ecosystem, you want to kind of build for that particular problem so that that problem doesn't exist. 
and people have the same kind of assets, the same kind of tools when they come explore these ecosystems. So the next big product that we want to work on is an NFT lending protocol on Alistero. This will essentially allow, solve the problem of not enough liquidity on this newer ecosystem, allow holders to kind of leverage their assets to borrow and our land, which is great for us, right? It's great for the community. It's building not only for our community, but it'll build for every community that wants to come build on Alistero after. And I think that's what I'm really excited about. We've kind of looked at building every product so far, more so for our smaller community. And this is kind of that first big approach that we're taking, okay, how can we build for the ecosystem at large? How can we build these revenue generating products that are actually going to help us sustain us long-term and that are actually going to contribute to that ecosystem expansion? Word. Yeah, that's dope, man. And obviously still a lot more building on your end to be had. And since we did talk about sort of what's going on in the space, and I think part of your role is to see what's out there. I'm really am curious if there are any other projects in the space that you've been following that you admire. I feel like that project for a lot of people, like Luca with Pudgy Penguins, what he's doing in this space is pretty incredible, right? I mean, the guy's been going to like all these licensing expos for the past year, went to Comic-Con. He's just been doing so much for putting Web3 out there in front of people. And I think taking it back when we started the podcast is there's this whole idea of like, how do we grow Web3? And it's like, well, the obvious choice is to go to Web2, right? And that's why Solana Spaces was that obvious choice for us is we saw this opportunity to go directly and be in front of Web2. And that's kind of, you know, an intention economy. That's the only way to do it now. You just have to go in front of people. You have to stand in front of them and scream and shout until they hear your message and understand that, again, NFTs aren't a scam. There's so much substance behind projects and businesses that are building the space right now. And I think Luke is kind of like proof of that, what he's doing with like this whole idea of IP and how he's expanding across many different verticals. I'd say that's kind of like the whole big value, I think, of like someone that I'm really inspired by, especially with all the work that he's doing on like GIF on Instagram. They get like millions of impressions from people that have never even heard of NFTs. And I think if you can kind of serve Web2 NFTs in that kind of on that kind of platter where they don't even realize the basis behind it until they have their first NFT, I think that's like super valuable. And I know Reddit's done it as well. They've had people that have bought these like avatars and they're transacting on Polygon and they don't even understand or know that they're working with blockchain technology. And I think that's kind of the future at the end of the day. I think people are going to be involved more with blockchain tech in the future and they won't even know that they're actually interacting with chains or whatnot. And again, I take a lot of inspiration from teams and founders that are able to kind of deliver products or deliver blockchain tech on that kind of that, I guess, like Trojan horse, if you want to call it that. Yeah, right on. We had Luca on the show finally recently. He's been hard to pin down. He was going to come to Outer Edge and then his schedule changed at the last minute. And it was great to finally talk to him about all the things he's building and how pumped up he is about what's coming up. And I've mentioned this before in the show, but if you haven't checked out the Pudgy Penguin Instagram, it's amazing. There is one comic about a guy that took a power nap and then woke up at 2 a.m. and he was like, what time is it? And my girlfriend was like, that is so you. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a really cool piece of IP. Well, that wraps up this segment of the show, but we have a lot more to come. And that was a lot of fun. Hi, we love having listeners like you because you're not only generous, but you're smart and you want to maximize the impact of your generosity. Donating money to help people can be a wonderful and selfless act. But how can you feel confident that your donations are improving or saving lives effectively? You could do weeks of research to find the charities that are out there, programs that they run, how effective those programs are, and how the charity might use your money. Or you could visit GiveWell.org. There, you'll get a short vetted list of the best charities they've found at saving or improving lives per dollar. 
GiveWell spends over 20,000 hours each year researching charitable organizations and only recommends a few of the highest impact evidence back to charities they found. Here's an example of how we at Edge of NFT make our charitable contributions go super far. Quick search on GiveWell's website, found their maximum impact fund, clicked donate, sent crypto to their address, done. Their maximum impact fund distributes quarterly to the charities that they believe will do the most good. GiveWell accepts a broad variety of popular tokens and provides a simple way to document your donation. If you've never donated to GiveWell's recommended charities before, you can have your donation matched up to $250 before the end of the year or as long as matching funds last. To claim your match, go to GiveWell.org and pick podcast and enter Edge of NFT at checkout. Make sure they know you heard about GiveWell from Edge of NFT to get your donation matched. And now I'm really excited that we're going to have a special Hot topic segment. Let's bring on our special guest for this segment, Matt Mason. What's going on, Matt? Good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, of course. For those that are regular listeners, Matt is also a regular on the show. He was on in the very beginning and more recently and continues to build. I'm sure there's a lot you could relate to in terms of what James was saying about the industry. Yeah, I mean, it's been gut punch after gut punch, I think, for so many of us in the space this year. And like I was listening along to everything you're saying, James, and just nodding like, yeah, I'm really glad that you're still here and that people as talented as you are still here and, and really sort of see the future in, in Web3. I think after the dot-com crash, like after a lot of waves like this in tech, the mainstream media is kind of pointing their fingers and saying, see, it was all just a load of rubbish, but that's not been true once in the history of technology. And there's so many applications and there's so many people building amazing things. And yes, speculation distorts everything we're doing, but I'm just nothing but bullish when I want to see people like James and his team building amazing things. Well, you're also doing some amazing building. So let's sort of give your formal background and talk a little bit about what you're up to. For those that don't know Matt, he's a senior executive with almost 20 years of experience in marketing strategy, product management, content creation, including a decade at sea level in distributed tech and Web3. He's also the CEO and co-founder of Dazzleship, which is a metaverse innovation lab, and he's the creator of Web3 franchise Broadside. And you guys should check out Broadside. It's one of the most engaged communities and visited destinations in the open metaverse. The community has paid to mint over 50,000 NFTs with $2.3 million in sales volume. And they've partnered with brands like Beatport, OpenSea, Rarible, Pixel Links, among many others. It also turns out that Matt and James have a common background that neither of them talk about too often, but you guys were both hanging out at Kraken a few years back. Yeah, both former Krakenites. I was CMO there for a spell and, and James was on the engineering team. So I'm kind of curious, is the marketing team coming up all these ideas and the engineering team saying like, no way, we can't do that? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. So much of my career has been the opposite, where I've like walked in one morning and the engineering team said, oh, we built a thing and we put it online. We didn't tell anyone in marketing. <laughs> what side of the coin did you fall on, man? Tell us the truth. I'd say it was kind of the opposite for me. It was more or less like, hey, you need to do this. Like, we need this built out, like, unrealistic timelines. It all worked out for the best. I think, like, luckily, like, I'd say the team that I worked with was very harmonious. We we're very much in the know of what needed to happen. Luckily, never walked in of like, okay, this is the whole pivot. This is what you need to do now. Throw out all the old cold. So, yeah, it was a very harmonious relationship. And I'd say, yeah, the culture at Kraken is just amazing. So, definitely one of the favorite places I worked in. I think it was like, the right stepping stone into Web3 full-time for me. 
Right on, right on. Well, we brought back Matt to share some big news about another new road in Web3 that he's been driving down. So the question is, Matt, what was it like to take Counting Crows on the road? No, just kidding. That would be a cool question. But no, seriously, what's the big news, man, that you're able to share with us? Did you know I did an album with Counting Crows at BitTorrent? I was like, I've actually done that, but never I, mind. I know. That's why I, I oh, mentioned okay. it. Hey, I did my research, I man. I about that. That's in, a fun oh. fact for a bar, for sure. Yeah, yeah. We'll get into that at some point. Yeah, it's been almost a year since we launched Broadside. So two things have happened. One, we've done everything we said we were going to do and more, despite the bear market and despite everything. And two, I guess not a big surprise, this happens a lot in Web3 and communities generally. Our community took the project in a completely different direction. And so now we're also kind of, we're trying to build for where they're going as well. Um, Broadside started as a storytelling project using NFTs, NFT characters as the stars of the story. So the way it works is you can buy a Broadside character. It has a name. It's like a one-of-one 3D avatar from over 3,000 traits. I think it's the most traits on any collection in OpenSea. It broke OpenSea's trait thing when we launched it. And then, yeah, we distributed um, tens of thousands of episodes to our holders of this story about their character over the last 10 months. And then over the summer, we gave everybody who collected the full story the opportunity to merge and bind the episodes of the story into a one-of-one broadside book with your hero on the cover, with your hero named as, as the main character throughout. We thought in this market, we wouldn't get that many people doing it. We thought maybe a 1,000 or so would do it. Over 3,000 people actually created one of these first edition broadside books which is pretty mad. Like I used to run a gaming studio. Like I think a lot about retention as a big sort of marker for the health of a community. Like we minted 7,200 heroes and 3,000 of them stuck around for 10 months paying for episodes and then paid to merge and buy a book, which is a crazy, crazy metric in terms of engagement and health of a community. We were sort of really inspired by that. Along the way, we met a platform called book.io, really amazing team of people backed by Penguin Random House and a few other big media players who are building an ebook marketplace where every ebook is an NFT, is a fully ownable asset built on blockchain. They've sold over 160,000 ebook NFTs in the last year, which is astonishing in this market. And they're really, I think, one of the companies that is managing to kind of pierce the Web3 bubble and get to a new audience and show them an application for NFTs that, that matters to them. So we were really excited to meet them and we've partnered with them on the first edition of the Broadside book that isn't completely unique. So we're calling it the Collector's Edition. The hero will have one name throughout. And we asked everybody who created the first edition, we asked them to give us their PFP, which they own the rights to, and to write a little message, kind of like a yearbook. And we created this 300-page section that's going to be in the Collector's Edition with everybody in the Broadside community who contributed and merged and bound their book is featured in this collector's edition. And in return, because they own the IP rights, their broadsiders, we're sharing 30% of the royalties with them. We're doing this because we think this is both Vector, my co-founder and I, we come from sort of a long history in content creation. And we're looking at all these models kind of break down and we're looking at studios and labels and all these platforms consolidate. And one of the things we love about Web3 is 
you can involve your community and you can collaborate with them and you can let them share in the upside of working together if they're, if they're actually creating stuff with you. And this just made so much sense to us. Like my first book, which I published with Simon and & Schuster and 10 other countries, I licensed a lot of content from people, excerpts from other book, photos. It's a really simple model. If you're using a photo, ask permission, sign a contract, and then pay the photographer. So that's what we did here. Our broadside community, they own all their rights. So we asked for their permission, they signed a contract, and we're taking their work and we're publishing it and we're paying them for it. So it's not a security, or at least our legal team assures us it probably isn't a security. And, but we really want to keep pushing despite where the SEC is going, despite all this FUD. Like We owe it to content creators to come up with new models. We owe it to fans to come up with new ways to yeah. kind of include the process of building franchises. Rich, I know you had a question, but I just got to say kudos to you, Matt, for doing something that sort of touches the R word that is so sort of trepidatious right now in a creative way and trying to find the winning strategy here. I don't want to say loophole, but the strategy that actually sort of checks the right boxes and makes everyone happy. Because a lot of people would just like not go down that road at all, but you didn't. And I see James nodding his head as well. I'm sure James is a product developer. You appreciate what we're talking about here. Yeah, absolutely. I think like Matt just mentioned, in Web3, it seems like there's not enough projects, businesses that give back. And I think when you can nail down a model that where incentives align, not only with the project, the business, the founders, and also the community, I think that's kind of a home run. And I think so many projects, so many businesses kind of shy away from it, right? Like granted, you know, all this stuff that's going on with the SEC is what it is, but there's still so many routes you can take forward that kind of align with giving back. I think not enough people in the space give back because when truly give back to your community. That's really when they're excited again, like you mentioned, to come back every day, right? And I think that's like a model that just, I'm imagining that you didn't have this like this revenue giving back model, at least at first and after you unrolled it, your community was very excited. Yeah, it wasn't something we thought about when we launched necessarily, like definitely sort of aspirationally, we were thinking, how do we get to models like this? But we were again, in the interest of trying to follow the SEC's guidelines, which are regulation by enforcement and looking at decisions like stoner cats. So, okay. Well, we I, mean, say- I mean, what guidelines? I mean, that's the problem. <laughs> right. There's no guidelines. And the one thing we sort of looked at was don't, or sort of the Huey test, the Howie test, sorry, for securities law is, I'm trying to remember the analog for it. Like if you're saying you're going to build a golf course and you haven't built it yet, but you're raising funds to do it, then the thing you're selling, the memberships to the golf course are securities. If the golf course exists, it's not a security. So don't say anything or don't announce anything until you've actually done it. So we worked for months with our legal team, with our smart contracts team to really get this structure right. And we waited until merge and bind process was ending before we announced that we were doing this 30% royalty. We didn't want to kind of tip our hands. There was any other reason to go and get one of these books other than you were a diehard fan of Broadside and you'd been along for the journey. Like That was reward enough. And we wanted this to be a kind of surprise and a cherry on top, not just because that was the right thing to do from a securities law POV, but because it just felt like the right way to reward people who are really here. We've worked really hard to keep flippers out for the whole project. We've sort of, I think 98% of people have not listed their broadsiders for sale, just been here with us, which is really amazing. Um, yeah, and excited to do this collector's edition with book.io. We've got 2,000 collector copies that will hopefully mostly go to 2,000 new collectors 
at a different price point, 45 bucks or 90 Matic. Um, so yeah, like pushing the story and expanding this story to a wider web three audience is something we're looking at too. Like, which is again, it's hard, right? Like, how do you take care of your core community and how do you keep growing the franchise? A lot of people are struggling with this in web three and Luke Ness is doing it. Pudgies, as you guys are talking about like amazing use of blockchain and plush toys and doesn't impact holders, like thinking about those type of models and thinking about how do you create new stuff? Listen, yeah. dive deeper into that real quick, because like you talked about at the top of the conversation, you have the stickiness, you have people who are coming and they're staying. There's something there. So I like to think that there's mm. a lot of people who like to be creative in their own ways, but also want to have some in product or in thing that they can point back to and say, Hey, I contributed to this thing. Here it is. And now other people are enjoying the fruits of that. So like walk us through that, right? So if me, Josh and Groovy come together and look at one of these, it's like, we want to contribute. We want to potentially participate. Like, what does that look like? In terms of sort of the flow in broadside, yeah. what does it look like? Yeah. So, I mean, if you have a broadsider, you get these episodes, you're able to merge and burn them and create a book. We've actually closed the merge and burn process now. So people couldn't do it once we announced the royalty thing, but we built the royalty system so that we can and will use it again. And we built it in such a way that this deal we've done with Book.io is the first book deal we've done on Broadside. We're going to do a lot of deals and eventually get to kind of the physical paper version for general release at some point. And we tried to structure this royalty system in such a way that it's very easy for a big publisher to look at this and say, oh, okay, like we don't actually have to be involved in it. And you're just licensing content from someone like we normally would from a photographer or a writer. So we wanted to make it very easy for publishers or studios or anyone working with us. And then on the other side for our core community, we can always Im implement this royalty model where appropriate if the partner we're publishing with is comfortable with it in such a way that it's a really, it's just a nice surprise for holders. We're going to use it again in different ways for people as we bring more people into the project. I guess one thing like this tension between your core community, they don't ever want you to make any more NFTs. They want you to go and sell soft toys in Walmart or wherever it is, because then the value of their NFTs goes up. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, except for the fact that I happen to love NFTs. I love them as network-aware social objects. And I don't think we've really shown anyone the magic of these things yet. And so we're sort of for the next phase of Broadside, with this community being so engaged in the metaverse, we're building metaverse tools and products, this new platform we're launching beginning of 2024. And there will be new NFTs. And they're very different from the OG collection. But I'm not going to apologize for that. And I'm never going to stop making NFTs as long as I'm in this space, because I think they're magic. And I think the idea of objects and avatars that can travel across the 100,000 plus Web3 games and open metaverse world that exists today taking different objects into different environments that have different utility in different environments, adding in real-time AI voice and all of these other bells and whistles that we're seeing emerge. Like we're going to see something built on the metaverse that looks like gaming, but is very, very much more sort of as Fortnite becomes a platform and Roblox becomes a platform and Apple drives more value to the avatar level, you're going to see these weird composable communities that are just running around the next layer of the internet and it's all going to, blockchain's the only thing that makes that work. And there's going to be millions of people doing this. So I think long-term, the only model for like, you've got issue one of something is, it's not not making more NFTs. Like NFTs are going to have to follow the sort of Pokemon model where it's like old school one-of-one -one Pokemons, the first ones are really valuable because there are billions of them. And that's the only sustainable model. But like getting from here to there is the tricky part. <laughs> 
because you've got to bring your community with you. I think you bring on some interesting points. I think creating more NFT saturation only becomes a problem if there's no underlying use case or underlying utility, right? And it sounds like you already have a lot baked in and the things that you want to do with these extra NFTs. And I think that's kind of the only, the only issue is when saturation is an issue is like, again, if there's just no basis for why you're actually creating these and it sounds like you have a lot planned. So I think that's the better approach as opposed to just like, we're not creating any, any more NFTs is very different from we're creating NFTs that actually have a specific purpose and their own value proposition. I think, again, that's the best path forward. For sure, man. Well, congrats again on the big news and continuing to break new ground as always. Sure, you'll have more exciting news for us next time you're on. In the meantime, folks, go to at Dazzleship on Twitter or at Broadside NFT on Twitter to sort of start to dive down that rabbit hole more and find out more about what's going on in the world of Matt Mason and all his Web3 adventures. Thanks for joining us, Matt. Thanks for having me. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Ben. So now is a really fun segment we like to call Edge Quick Hitters. And this is a fun and quick way to get to know James a little better. There's going to be 10 questions and we're looking for just a short or single few word response. But feel free to expand if you get the urge. James, you ready for this? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. If you heard the show before, this isn't going to be your first. So you have a little bit of an upper hand. I know you have checked out our show. So what is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? Pokemon card. That was, I guess, what I spent my own money on. My parents were like, this is your money. You can do with it what you will. And it was like, yeah, the first generation Pokemon card. Very common answer among Web3 entrepreneurs, surprising enough. It's probably one of the most common at this point. We'll have to do a tally eventually. So, but not to say it's a generic answer because it makes sense. It tells us a little bit more about you and your background. So what is the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? Oof, it's funny. So my dad is from Mexico. My late father was Mexico. And I remember they always used to bring back, like whenever they would go visit to Mexico, they'd always bring back like Mexican candy. So I would always take this candy to school and sell it to people. <laughs> so yeah, I'd say yeah, Mexican candy was probably the first thing I was. Yeah, I correlate with that. First thing I sold was uh, chocolate bars. So I get that. That's awesome, man. What is the most recent thing that you purchased? This recent thing I purchased, I bought another air purifier. I have two dogs. So my partner was mentioning how the old purifier wasn't working. So yeah, I bought a new air purifier for the living room. Those things are clutch, especially in Los Angeles with all the fires the last few years. I relied very heavily on my air purifier. That's super helpful. So on the flip side of that, what is the most recent thing you sold? recent thing I sold was actually an NFT. <laughs> I won this like NFT in a raffle and I was like, well, I mean, I guess I'll just sell it. Uh, yeah, it, was, it was, I think that was the last week. Yeah. All right. Next question. What is your most prized possession? When I first started getting involved in Web3, I started getting involved in smaller communities and that was kind of my inlay into like actually finally doing something on my own. But one of the things that I had made was for this small central community, I had like a plush made, like someone hand sold it. So like that's kind of my most prized possession in Web3 is so much like feelings and emotion attached to this like sewn character. But yeah, that's my most prized possession. Nice. Yeah. Sort of proving the theory that digital sort of assets are, it's a powerful combination for sure. I think that conversion process from digital physical, if done right, can be really special. So next question actually is, if you could buy anything in the world, 
digital physical service experience is currently for sale, what would it be? That's a tough one. I find that I don't really find myself wanting too much. So it's hard to be like, there's one big thing that I want. But if I had to buy anything, I guess I'd probably buy my mom like a new car, maybe like, yeah, whatever she needs for her ranch. Yes, a very noble answer and a good one. Says a lot about you. That's awesome. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would that be? Just be kind, be humble. There's so many people that are always, I guess, feel the need to be like maybe a little bit toxic or maybe not as nice. I think the world could always use a little bit more kindness and people to kind of take that into the next generation and keep going on, I think would be great. I think the world would be a lot better if people were just more kind to each other. So anything to kind of push out, you know, more positivity in the space, I think would be great. I agree. I think what COVID has done in social media has made people a lot more safe to not be as nice to each other across screens. And I think the more time spent in person, it's a lot easier to be kinder and to have more empathy. So I empathize with that. Although in the future, it's looking like we're going to be spending more time online anyway. So like we got to find a good balance there. But if you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would it be? As productive as I consider myself, I think procrastination still is there. I think I'd probably eliminate that. Sometimes I use like other tasks to procrastinate on other tasks as a way to get things done. But I'd say that's probably what I'm most like, where I'm probably like, I could do more without procrastination. Yeah, you're not the only one. Guilty as charged. Procrastination on procrastination to justify it as non-procrastination. It's the things on the to-do list that you don't want to do. And so I just like, I'll find things lower down in the list and I'll just do them first. I don't know if you can relate to that. Yeah, I know. That's exactly it. Like I had a meeting yesterday. It was a good meeting that I probably should have gone to. And I rescheduled it today, but I told the person I was meeting with, I was like, well, I have to go mow the lawn. I did have to go mow the lawn before my partner got home. And it was like, it's pretty important, but it's definitely not as important as these other things. But yeah, I know it's, I was thinking about it too, as I was mowing the lawn, I was like, I'm just procrastinating. Sure, I'm doing something productive, you know, at least for the homestead. But I was like, this is such a procrastination tool that I'm using Uh, right now. And it's... Yeah. I mean, that's better than saying that you had to like wash your hair. It could be even worse, but I hear you. So speaking of things you're doing, what did you do just before joining us on the podcast? Cool. Yeah. So before I was kind of just looking over some milestones that we have to hit for the governance platform that we're working on, we've been kind of pushing it back due to some other things that popped up. So it was just making sure that all timelines were kind of being met, that we were on track to finish things by the end of this month. But just, again, just work, common work stuff. Right on. And what are you going to do next after the podcast? After this, I have to go respond and follow up to some emails. And then I have that meeting that I was just mentioning that I pushed back. I also overbooked that for 10 a.m. this morning, which was when we were supposed to jump on this call. So it's, I'll get to that pretty soon later in the day. Yeah. Rather than that, um, I got to mow my lawn. <laughs> I got to do this podcast. I'm seeing a trend here, James. Richard, do we have a bonus question today? We do. So James... What is the most kind thing a total stranger has ever done for you or that you've done for a total stranger? That's a tough one. I think that maybe the most kind thing that someone's done for me that really like rings true is one time I was visiting Peru to go do one of the treks to like Machu Picchu. And I remember just getting there to like Cusco. It was really late at night. I had no idea where I was going. My phone had died. Um, So I I met someone on like on the side of the street and they basically kind of helped me get to the Airbnb that we were going to. They obviously didn't, I didn't have a phone service. So was able to use their phone and kind of looked at where I needed to go. They were able to kind of provide helpful direction just because at that time I wasn't able to find an Uber and 
finding an Uber on their phone wasn't of any help. So I was able to like use their phone, get into Airbnb, find directions and everything. And they were basically able to kind of pinpoint me to where I needed to go. And I think when you go to a random country, it's like things can kind of be a little bit intimidating and to have that kind of niceness to ensure it feels very heartfelt and makes me feel at home. So I'd say that was like a big thing. This is when I was back in college. I was, so this was probably my first visit to South America. So yeah, it was quite a memorable experience in terms of how nice the Peruvians were. That's cool. Yeah. It made me think about my first trip to Europe. I think it was right after college and I never traveled abroad and I got in Rome. I don't know if it was a misconnection or something happened where we were there and not planning to be there. And there were like everywhere was sold out. The complete city was sold out and some hostel attendant let us sleep in his bed while he was on duty so that we didn't have to roam the streets at night. It was like the coolest thing. So yeah, cheers to good deeds everywhere and those that do them. This has been a great conversation, James. It's so cool to have you on the show and to learn more about what you're doing in the world of Web3 and what type of stuff you're, you're building. Where can our listeners go to learn more about you and all these projects? Yeah, I'd say Twitter is probably the best. X it's called now on would probably be the best place to you know, stay on top of everything. On X, you can also find all the links to our Notion, all the links to our Linktree, our platforms, everything that we're working on is all in there. X is just such a big point to kind of stay connected with everyone. And I think, yeah, that's, that's kind of the way it will be in the future. So yeah, find us on X at Groovy NFTs, at just ape underscore, at apes, A-W underscore as well. Put all our latest news and updates on there. Dope. Very cool. So check these guys out. We've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFT today. Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures in the Starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers. They'll make this journey all so much better. How? Go to Spotify or iTunes right now, rate us and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Look us up on all major social platforms by typing edge of NFT with no spaces and start a fun conversation with us online. You can also subscribe to our newsletter over on our website. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. The views and opinions expressed on Edge of NFT reflect solely those views and opinions of the show hosts and its guests. Please make sure to do your own research. Our show is not financial advice. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk. Whenever making financial decisions, we recommend doing your own research and talking to your accountant for financial advice. From time to time, we may feature sponsored content on the show for which we receive value, and we may share links for which we receive a commission if you make a purchase through one of those links. Refer to our website, www.edgeofnft.com, for our full disclaimer, terms and conditions, and privacy policy.